Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Okay, cool. What's going on, everyone? Good morning, um, or good afternoon. My name is Robert. I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary Chapel, South London, and we're going through the Book of Acts, and we're looking at the history of the early church, and this is Paul's second missionary journey. And today's topic is three people that find forgiveness in Philippi. And we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 16, verse 11 through to 40. Now, I'm not going to actually read the text today. Um, we're just going to walk through it, expounding as we go. Because of our special focus um, this morning, we'll only be spending a limited time in Acts. So we've got to hurry. And so we pick up from where we left off last week in chapter 16. Paul and his new companion Silas have left Antioch with a view to strengthen the churches. They find a disciple whose name was Timothy. Paul has Timothy circumcised and he becomes a valuable member of the team. The churches are therefore strengthened by their ministry. But Paul and his team end up being redirected by God from Asia, which is Turkey, to this place called Macedonia, which is a country north of Greece. So picking up in verse 11, it says, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we remained in this city some days. Now you can see that on the basis of the fact that they made a direct voyage and, and then the following day we see in verse 11 meant that they were in a hurry. They were moving. Now we find that they had heard from the Lord in a vision and had got clear direction. And they, be, they quickly began to, to journey to this place called Philippi, which you can see on the map. And, 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 and Philippi is in Macedonia which is um, still called Macedonia, still known by that same name today. Notice the we passages as opposed to the they passages. We mentioned this last week. Luke had collected information to make up his first um, book, which is Luke, and now also his second book up to chapter 15, and it was eyewitness testimony. If you like, he was putting together a biography but when we get to chapter 16, the end of chapter 15, the beginning of chapter 16, we find that now what had happened is they had actually picked up Luke in Troas and Luke now is a part of the team. Therefore, we see the switch from the pronoun they as he's writing about them, but he begins to make reference to them now as we because he's actually now a part of the team. He's a part of the group. And this is now Luke, the writer of this, this book, speaking as an eyewitness as he travels along now with Paul, Silas and Timothy. And here we are in a place called Philippi. And Philippi is a very influential city, a leading city, it says. It was founded by and named after Philip of Macedon, the father of Alexander the Great. 
Now, as he travels along, that is, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and the writer of this book, whose name is Luke, they come to this place called Philippi, and it's a very influential city. The scripture, the verse says it's a leading city. It was founded um, and named by a man called Philip of Macedon, who was actually the father of Alexander the Great. And this is going to be the first city in Europe to receive the message of the gospel. It's moving westward from Jerusalem. And we're going to see in our story today how God reaches out to a woman, a girl, and a man. Three people who will find forgiveness. It seems as if there's no synagogue or place of worship um, of God in Philippi. There's just a few godly women. Sometimes some things never change. Thank the Lord that when the men are flopping, the women are holding it down. Amen? Even without anesthetic, as we heard earlier, right? Verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Ladies, you're heavy. Please don't stop praying. That's what they're doing here. Especially when you're surrounded by men who don't, that is, pray. When you're surrounded by men who don't love God. There's no synagogue here because you need a minimum of 10 Jewish men in order to set up a, a, a Jewish synagogue. Imagine they can't find 10 godly men. What a crying shame. And isn't it very similar today? Sometimes the scripture says there's nothing new under the sun. Still find it hard to find godly men. Now one good thing that we see here is that the message had traveled far from its Jerusalem Israeli roots and is now going predominantly to Gentiles. And the three people that we see affected by the message of Christ are a very mixed bunch. First of all, we see a woman. Now she's mature and she's shrewd. She runs her own business. Think the apprentice. She's a successful businesswoman. And we see from verse 14, she trades in purple goods, which is ancient language for designer clothing. Purple was the most expensive material that was available at that time. And she also has a big house. We see that in verse 15. Lydia would be characterized as upper class. She has much more than enough. She's balling. Now, where Lydia was a big mature woman, the second person is a young girl. She's Macedonian. And she's not at the top of the scale. She's at the very bottom. She's actually a slave. Not even lower class. She's lower than lower class. Then, we have our third individual. And he is... A Roman. And he's a jailer. He's a prison warden, possibly an ex-Roman soldier. And he, in terms of the class categories, is probably middle class. And I'm saying, he, he, he hasn't got an overabundance, but he's got enough and he's getting by. He's got a nice car and he's paying his mortgage. He's middle class, which is what probably most of us fall into. Don't get it twisted. Now, it would be like comparing these three. They're so stark. Like comparing them to Richard Branson and a school teacher and Oliver Twist. Really, all completely different. And check it. 
racially, they're completely different because one of them is from Thyatira, that's Turkey. The other one is from Macedonia. The other one is Italian, is Roman. They're different economically. One is rich, one is extremely poor and owns nothing. The other is comfortable. They're different religiously. One is into Judaism, one is in the occult, and the other one is probably into Greek mythology. Completely, all completely different. Now let's have a look at them. Verse 14. One who heard us, that is Paul and Silas specifically, heard them speaking. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, seller of purple goods, who was a worshipper of God. A little bit like Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. We saw that a few months ago. And the scripture says the Lord did what? He opened her heart, for those of you that haven't got a Bible in front of you. For what purpose? Why did God open her heart? Well, the next verse says, to pay attention to what was said by Paul. It's like in Luke chapter 24 when Jesus is on the road to Emmaus and he's walking with two guys. One of them is unnamed, the other man's name is Cleopas, and they don't know who he is. Because he's actually died and come back from the dead. And they're talking about, you know what, something really amazing has happened. He's like, why, what's happened? And they said, you're a stranger from these parts, don't you know what's going on? And he's like, no, tell me. And they begin to explain, and tutus, they get to the point where they sit down and they're eating. And, and he breaks bread, this mystery guest that's walking with them, and they recognize that it's him. The one they're talking about has now come back from the dead. And... It says in, in verse 31 of Luke chapter 24, it says, And their eyes were opened. And the same thing happens in the same chapter with the disciples a little bit later. Exactly the same thing. And their eyes were opened. Now, were their eyes closed as they were walking down the street? Of course not. Their, their physical eyes were opened, but it was their spiritual eyes that God had now enlightened and opened. Luke chapter 24 with Jesus and his disciples after he came back from the dead, even they never fully recognized. And it says in verse 44, he said to them, that is Jesus, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then what did he do? He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. You see that? And then it goes on to say, and he said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning right here in Jerusalem. You cannot begin to see. You see the verse 45? He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. You cannot begin to see unless God opens your heart. Unless God opens your heart, or the eyes of your heart, or the eyes of your understanding. But notice, it's the opening, opening of the heart in conjunction with what? It's not that God just opens the heart. He does. But he opens the heart, and then what does he do? He enables the individual then to hear the word. Verse 14 says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. 
which was probably an extension of what Jesus said a moment ago in Luke 24 with regard to the resurrection and forgiveness of sin and repentance. I should have put that the other way around. See, notice two things happen there. Well, we would hope that the same thing happens here. That is that God would open your heart and open your heart in order that you might be able to now hear the message. And it's bad news, as Daniel said a moment ago, because without Christ, your eternal future is eternal separation from God in hell. That's the bad news. And that's what God opens your heart hopefully today to hear. So that, like, unlike before, you'd be like, what? I'm going to hell. And we heard why. It's because of sin. And we're all guilty. On that basis, with an open heart and a clear recognition and cognition of the fact that you're going to perish, the bad news, well, we want to encourage you with the good news, which is that you don't have to go there. Evidently, Lydia was deeply affected, hopefully in the same way that you are, by what she heard. Because look at the result, verse 15. And after she was baptized, and that's the next stage after you make the initial steps toward Christ, which are repentance, turning away from your sin, and then opening your heart and your life, your whole life to him, the next stage is baptism. And she does that. And it says her whole household was affected to the point where they get baptized. She urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to, Lord, to the Lord, come to my house and stay, she says to the apostles. See, God opens her heart and then she opens her home. And, he said she, and she prevailed with us or if you like, they said, okay, cool, we'll come and they go. And on another day, verse 16, as they were going to the place of prayer, now this seems to be another time, a different day, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Now, she's possessed with a spirit that enables her to tell the future, to tell your fortune to tell you stuff that you don't know that you want to know that is held secret in the spiritual realm have you ever been stopped by them guys outside Lewisham shopping center or Peckham or Brixton or wherever and they're giving out these cards at first I thought it was a Christian giving out tracks I was like what what is this some Dr. Shivago mystic just tear them up just tear up and throw it in the bin Psychics, tarot cards, horoscopes, clairvoyants, mystics, mediums, juju and obia. <laughs> By the way, Halloween is next Sunday. Make sure you stock up on some tracks. You know what I'm saying? Don't be like a Scrooge and, you know what I'm saying, turn the lights off and pretend you ain't home when they come trick or treating, right? No, no. Get a bag, put some sweets in it and put a track in there. You know what I mean? And write, I don't know, the name of your church, if this is your church, or if you go to another church, or put, your, your, put a mobile phone number on there. You know what I'm saying? Let's utilize that time wisely. 
because the devil is definitely using that time, right? Verse 17. She, this is this woman, she's following now Paul and the rest of the team. And she's crying out, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Now would you expect her to say something like this? Notice what she said was true. But wait a minute, she's possessed by a demon. Why would the demon be like putting up signposts? To the apostles who are preaching the gospel so people can get saved. See, we've got to be careful when we're dabbling in the realm of the, the occult. I remember my wife, before she became a Christian, used to play with a Ouija board in the darkness, put the glass on the and one day the glass literally jumped off the table and everyone was shook. You see them programs where they switch off all the lights and they've got people walking around in the dark. A lot of it is nonsense, but some of it Hey, you remember back in the Old Testament, Moses had, a, had, had a, a rod and God said, I want you to drop it down in front of Pharaoh. It's going to help him to understand who I am. He did, became a snake. But guess what happened? Pharaoh drew for his, his mystics them and they'd done exactly the same thing. Although Moses' serpent swallowed up their ones. But there is a realm of darkness that is able to sometimes perform miracles, signs and wonders that are not from God. Now it says, verse 18, that this and, this, and this she kept doing for many days. So she's constantly following them. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, as anyone would, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. You know, we got someone coming on the 21st of November, a few weeks' time, called Jacob Prash, good friend of, of ours. And he told a story once of before he became a Christian, he went to see a medium. And he sat down with this medium, and she started to scream as she began to tell his fortune. And he was like, what's going on? Remember, he's not a Christian at this point. She says to him, don't come back and burn me when it happens. And he was like, what? But now he realizes that what she actually saw was him becoming a Christian, and it was true. Stay away from the occult, because at its root, you see the thing with the devil is, yeah, you see it constantly throughout scripture. What he does is, he will give you a lot of truth, and then when he's got you hooked, the way he draws you in now is by twisting it with a slight little lie. In, in Greek, I think it's called... Um, I forget, I forget the Greek term for it. Parazozuxin is the Greek term. It's lying truth next to error. Remember in the garden? Did God really say that you mustn't eat the fruit from the tree? A lot of what was said there was exactly what was said. But then he twisted it. Just like Jesus. Remember in the, in the temptation in Matthew 4? Just throw yourself off the temple, innit? Because God was, will charge his angels to bear you up. And he quotes out of the Psalms. He quotes the scripture. You, listen, you know, you better know the scripture better than the devil. Because if you don't, he will, he will bend you up. So, Paul gets sick and tired of this. And maybe we wouldn't have recognized. We'd be like, wow, this woman, maybe she's an evangelist. You know, maybe we need to bring her onto the team. You know what I mean? Wow. But Paul, Paul has discernment and he knows what's going on and he casts the demon 
uh, this woman. Verse 19. But when her owners, check it. When her, she was probably quite happy at this point. But look, her owners, when they saw that their hope of gain was gone. Remember, she's a slave. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Wow, now this seems a bit drastic. But you see, losing money would make some people do anything, right? Verse 20, and when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. See, their motive isn't pure. They don't care about laws and customs. They're worried about losing their money. Verse 22. The crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them. Mm -mm, and gave orders to beat them with rods. This quickly begins to get out of hand. You suspect that the magistrates and these rulers and these individuals that have this woman enslaved. Are being motivated possibly by the demons that got cast out of this girl. I don't know. But something is not good about what is taking place. Notice how the pronouns, particularly in verse 22, have now switched back, to, back from us to them. If you were here last week, you're probably aware of what I'm saying. Us and them. Right up until chapter 16, Luke has been speaking about what others have communicated to him are taking place in the book of Acts. He's writing like a biography, if you like. But at this point, he actually joins the team. He joined them back in Troas, and he's a part of the group. So he's not saying, okay, and they went here and they went there. He's saying, we went here and we went there. But now in verse 22, it goes back to them. The pronouns change. And you see, what's taking place is Luke and Timothy, who are part of this four-man quartet, are not the vocal ones. Who did I say the vocal ones were? Paul and Silas. So, if you like, they grip up Paul and Silas, because obviously Timothy and, and Luke ain't really saying much, so they grab up the protagonists, right? And um, Because Paul and Silas are the main speakers. Verse 23, and when they had inflicted many blows upon them, Paul and Silas, they threw them into prison, ordering who? In steps our third character, ordering the jailer, verse 23, to keep them safely. Now, this jailer, he has no idea as to what is about to happen. Verse 24, having received this order, he put them into the inner prison, in the dungeon, in the deep, darkest, dampest part of the prison. Now, this happens today. That is... Those who represent God are treated unfairly, where Christians are persecuted, tortured, and even imprisoned. In 2009, the top 10 persecutors of Christians were as follows. These are the particular countries, not in any particular order. Eritrea, Pakistan, Iran, North Korea, Somalia. Check it. India, Saudi Arabia, Vietnam, Nigeria. China, where Christians are taken and beaten, mutilated, murdered. I really wanted to take some time to show you some stuff, even a video, but we don't have time. But just to highlight that what you see happening here to Paul and Silas still happens today, and more so than any other time in history. Last night, 
night before last, Pastor E was telling me some of the guys went out and done some evangelism. I think Jahaziel and, and Dave, I think Dave was standing up on one of them, what, them big old wheelie bin dustbin and was hailing, hurling out the gospel, innit? And some brother got offended. And he must have stepped to Jahaziel. And two twos, you know, they're, they're, they're debating back and forth. And obviously this man don't want to hear. He's just causing drama. So Jahaziel's like, you know what? God bless you, man. You know what I mean? Go about your business, do your thing. Let me, I'll go about my business, do my thing. God bless you. So apparently Jahaziel turned around and the brother attacked him. And Jahaziel didn't retaliate. Wow, that's heavy, isn't it? Grab the Lord by his spirit. Talk about self-control. The Holy Spirit gave you self-control, no doubt, bruv. You know what I mean? And, um, and I'm just saying, the same thing happens today, even up to a few days ago. I think it says in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, and those who live godly in Christ Jesus must suffer persecution. And um, that's a great testimony there, bruv. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter... 5 verse 10 to 12 he said blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you verse 24 of our text Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. If that wasn't enough, that is, they're in prison, they're now bound up in stocks. About midnight, verse 25, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. No, surely that ain't right. Jahaz, how, could, how, could, how could someone attack you violently? And I wasn't there, I don't know. But Jahaz was a big brother, he's a tick brother. He probably could have wiped out the brother. Or at least he could have stood up for himself physically. You get me? I'd be like, verse 25 is amazing. Paul and Silas, they're incarcerated and they're not screwing and chatting about, you know what? I can't believe they locked us up in there. Look what they're doing. Praying. <coughs> and singing hymns to God. And it says the prisoners were listening to them. Notice how the, the prisoners were listening. I bet they never heard anything like this before. Like I said about Jehaziah, what a great testimony. <clears throat> how often do we hear that? How often do we do that? Not retaliate, that is. And we might not retaliate violently, but verbally. See, as a Christian, how do you respond to difficulty in your life? And if you're here and you're not a Christian, how would you be affected if you were to see a Christian violated and not respond? Verse 26. And suddenly, it says, oh my gosh. Paul and Silas don't respond, but guess who does? 
And suddenly, verse 26, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke up, see, he's, my man's just, my man's zedding up the place, isn't it? He's on nights, isn't it? He's just, my man's just relaxing. He's on, he, it's like, there ain't nothing for him to do. Everybody's on lockdown. Skeleton staff. My man's, he's sleeping. But look. Because of the earthquake, he woke up and saw that the prison doors were open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Supposing that the prisons, prisoners had escaped because if they escape, it's their life now, or his life now, for their life. So he's like, you know what? I think Daniel said it. You get to that point where you just say, you know what? <laughs> it's an easier thing for me just to take my own life. And he's about to commit suicide. Isn't it wonderful how God can meet you even at that point? Look how he meets this jailer. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself. We're all, we're all still here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. See how sometimes you can be in a difficult situation, but God is trying to work out his purpose in the midst of it. Very often we just think about ourselves, don't we, when we're in a difficult time. We don't realize that, that somebody else who possibly, probably has a greater need than you and me, God wants to reach. See, we're not victims as Christians. You're not in a situation or circumstance where, oops, God forgot about you. Your, hand, your life is in his hand, Jesus says in, in John. He says, your life is in, in, the, in, in the Father's hand and nobody can snatch you out. Scripture says that, you know what, God's people, Israel, back in them days, was the apple of his eye. How do you protect your eye? God cares considerably, considerately about you, considerably about you. Raymond, your family's going through drama. Mummy. Zach got took. But you know what? God has got him and he's got you. Raymond, God has got your family, bruv. You know, Raymond was in the hospital with his family, right, when his nephew got hit by this car and went through, this, through the side window of this car. They, they had to... They, I can't get into the details of his condition, but he's in intensive care at the moment. The family are all crowded around in the hospital room. One of them turns around to Raymond and says, Raymond, you're Christian. Can you pray for us? Raymond gets on his knees in the ward and prays for his whole unbelieving, unsaved family. And before he did that, he whispered in his nephew's ear, because you know they say that your hearing is the last thing to go when you're, when you're very seriously ill. He whispered, Raymond was able to whisper into his nephew's ear, God loves you. And he sent his son Jesus to die for you. Open your heart to him. Ask him to forgive you and he will forgive you. You know, I think when we get to heaven... There's going to be a lot of people that we expected to see, 
sit down all them put your bridges around you yeah yeah she i'll definitely see you in heaven because because she's saved right he's saved right how do you know that when we get to heaven you're going to be looking for people and they're not going to be there because they're not genuinely saved they're false converts but then on the other hand now hopefully that will shake us to, 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 to the root of our being so that we will fix up we will examine ourselves and make our calling and our election sure when we hear that right but then when we get to heaven we're going to be like Rah! how did you get here <laughs> there's going to be a lot of that because I'm convinced that people know and they might front you know what I mean but on their deathbed you know people are bawling out for mercy and God is a merciful God so thank the Lord even in the midst of a difficult situation like Raymond it was is is in you see how the Lord is using it be encouraged I tell you if, if we can switch our paradigm now It'd be like, James, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations and tribulations, my brothers and sisters. You see, with that particular perspective, you can do that. We don't have time. Verse 30. Verse 29. And the jailer called for lights, rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Evidently, a lot has been happening in the prison that are not contained in the text. Who knows if they hadn't spoken to the jailer before and he's like, what? Burn that Christianity. Burn your Christ. Whatever. Right? Who knows? But now, earthquake, place mash up. He's about to kill himself. He, he talk about emotions up and down and they're still there. And he's like, oh. so maybe earthquake, you lot are praising God in the midst of your difficult situation. I mean, what an amazing day for this Philippian jailer. This Roman jailer who lives in Philippi. And it's too much for him. And he comes and he says, you know what? Whatever it was that you were saying, I'm, I'm, my, my heart's open and I'm, I'm ready to listen to what you have to say. What must I do to have what you got? And they said to him, verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Right where you're standing. Put down your sword. Right where you're standing. Right where you're sitting today. What? I'll just put the words in your mouth. You ask me, what do you need to do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus. And you will be saved. To the point where God will affect your life. You go back home. You begin to affect your whole family. Your family will be like, what happened to, my, what happened to you? We ain't got time. It says that this man, him and his whole household are going to be affected. Verse 32, and, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him. See, they further help him and exhort him. And to all who were now in his house. How did they get to the house? Verse 33, because he took them. That's the Roman soldier, the Roman, um, the Roman jailer. He took them the same hour of the night. And washed their wounds. And he was baptized just like Lydia at once. Talk about radical change in this man's yard. What time was it that the earthquake took place and they were praying? Midnight. So that means it's after midnight. And they're getting baptized. Like 2 o'clock in the morning like baptism. Hey, wake up your whole family. You lot need to hear this. 
He's, he's the head of the house, so he can do what he likes, right? Well, everybody wake up. And Paul and Silas share as he's bathing and they've got wounds because possibly he was involved in inflicting these wounds and now he's, he's helping them. And they're preaching and they share with the whole family. The whole family gets saved and everybody gets baptized the same night. Verse 40, 30, 34. Then he brought them up into his house and set food. Be- oh my goodness. Wake up his wife. Look. Hook up some food. <laughs> and he rejoiced. And who knows? I don't know. Maybe he's saved now. Maybe he's in the kitchen. Hallelujah. And he, and he rejoiced. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. We talked about this a few months ago. Isn't it amazing? It's wonderful when a child in the house gets saved. Like Daniel. I mean saved. No joke. Living now a completely different life, not one thing on a Sunday, and then yeah, we saying, oh, yeah, we saying this, a different thing. You know, coming and singing to Jesus on a Sunday and acting like the devil on a Monday. You know what I mean? Isn't it wonderful when a child gets saved and can influence the family? But that child is going to take time before they grow up to become an adult to influence society. It's wonderful when a mum gets saved because now she's she's in a place where she can affect her children. There's ladies here with their children and their, 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 their baby father is not here. They don't have a husband and they're raising their kids. They're here. Thank the Lord when that happens. But I tell you what, when a man gets saved, because she might get saved and she's trying to bring him to church, trying to drag him to church. To the point where she's just got to leave him and go to church herself and work out her own salvation, right? But it's a, when the man gets saved, you know what? Nine times out of ten, the whole household is, a, is affected. Verse 32. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Did I read that already? 33, read that? 35. But when it was day... <laughs> What a night. When it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. Mm. Verse 36, and the jailer, (laughs) wow. Verse 36, and the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, "The the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, look, they beat us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens. Remember, this is a Roman colony. You're not supposed to treat Roman citizens this way in a Roman colony, but they didn't take the time to ask if they were Roman citizens, right? They were so full of the devil, they gripped them up and started tearing them up. Now they realize, oh my gosh, look what we've done. So Paul's like, you know what? And they've thrown us into prison And do they now throw us out secretly? No, 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 no. Let them come out themselves and take us out. And now the thing is, Paul ain't got to be in his bonnet. It's not pride right now. Look how they treated us. You know what? This ain't right. You know what? No. What Paul is doing is Paul is using this as an opportunity now to make a big thing of the fact that they've been arrested. So more people can hear what's going on. So more people can now hear the gospel. Verse 38. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. See, they got opportunity now also to preach to the magistrates because you know how Paul does. Verse 40. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. 
Now that was a, I mean, whistle-stop tour through those verses, right? Isn't this a strange group of people selected and highlighted by the author of this book? A rich woman, a slave girl, and a Roman prison warden. All three Gentile non-Jews. See, you ain't been with us in the journey. Up until quite recently, it's bare Jewish people getting saved. But now there's a transition. Luke is making a point here, proving that the gospel is not just for Jews. It's for everyone. It's for all nations. Most Jewish men said every morning in their prayers, God, I thank you that I wasn't born a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. Isn't it ironic? A rich woman. But God opened a closed heart of sin. A young girl delivered who was enslaved to sin. Setting free a jailer who was bound. See, he thought he was binding people. He was the one that was actually bound. He was imprisoned to sin. Now you might be here, you might be a drug dealer. You might be shot in food. You might be a criminal, you might be a gang member. And you feel like your hench, like this Roman soldier. The question is, what is it going to take for you to change? Does God have to bring an earthquake into your life for you to change? You might be here and you might be a young lady. And you're a slave. Guys take you out and they buy you stuff. And you feel obligated to pay them back with sexual favors. You're enslaved. What is it going to take for you to change? Is it going to take pregnancy for you to change? See, and then you might be, you might be nothing like those that I've just described. You might be middle class, even upper class. You know, middle class is if you've got enough money to buy food, you've got stuff in your cupboards, you've got, like me, more clothes than you can wear. I'm trying to find my shoes. I don't wear shoes very often. Trying to find my shoes this morning. I had to tear up about 20 pairs of shoes in the cupboard to find them. That's middle class. Because you've got more than enough. And that might be you. Or you might even be upper class. Who knows? You might have heard about this church meeting opposite your road. And you live in Dulwich Village and you wandered over here. You found yourself over here. And you don't want for nothing materially. You're rich. But spiritually, you're poor. Three different categories of people. Hopefully they all identify somehow with us today. And ultimately... God desires that we ask the question, in the face of all that I am and all that I have or all that I don't have, I'm lacking. And hopefully today, God has opened your heart. And in conjunction with opening your heart, he's also allowed you to hear the good news. Would you respond to it? Would you respond to it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for just a wonderful opportunity today to 
to meet together as a family. We're all here, adults, young people, even the children are in, and it's wonderful. How often does this happen, Lord? Where big people are with little people. It's not very often in our culture. Thank you for this time. And thank you for our guests who are here today, Lord. Particularly, Lord, those who are here to celebrate Zach's life. And Lord, they've been on a journey. And Father, just like these three people that we've looked at today, they weren't expecting you to invade into their lives. Lydia, she was doing her thing. Going from chain shop to chain shop, going to Soho, going to Sloan Street, going to check out her shops. She weren't expecting you to invade her life. This slave girl who was in a place where she had nothing, she had no hope. She was the opposite of this woman. She had no future. And Lord, you stepped into her life, delivering her. Lord, is there a young lady here today that's enslaved in somewhere that you want to deliver? Lord, a father is there. That person who thinks they're cool, thinks everything's kind of all, everything's kind of all right in my life. Kind of getting by and kind of struggle here and there, but kind of generally things are well, I'm healthy. But Lord, they need to hear that really things are not as good as they look. And as the, the statistic still states, 10 out of 10 die. And that's the big problem, Lord. Thank you that you've provided an answer to that massive question that we all have to answer at some point. Father, I pray that someone would cry out today, what must I do to be saved? And you'd respond, believe in Jesus and repent. Turn away from your life of sin and believe in the fact that Jesus, when he hung on that cross and was mutilated, it was for you. It was for me. And on that basis, Father, you will forgive and you bring regeneration and satisfaction and fulfillment into the lives, Lord, of all those who would embrace it. Thank you, Lord, for that this morning. We bless you and give you thanks in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.